Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to Action Replay on DCUFM, twitch.tv slash DCUFM to watch us live. We're on Spotify, search DCUFM, DCUFM Sport on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, I'm delighted to welcome back uh, Sean Crosby. He's back after his holiday last week. Sean, how was that uh, vacation? Yeah, it wasn't bad. It was good to be back. Cheers. Uh Lots and lots to talk about, both looking back on what was and looking forward to what's to come. But I think we'll, we'll start with the rugby. The uh, Six Nations is back, which also took a week's sabbatical. Um, and Ireland, they're over two at the moment. But like I said last week, I think you have to kind of cut them a bit of slack because... You need to look at the losses in context because they were both very close, uh, and they and in the case of the Wales game, we did struggle with fourteen men for an hour of it. We're up against, uh, I believe, we're up against Italy this week, which should be um, fairly comfortable. Italy, of course, the perennial whipping boys of the Six Nations, but there's a bit of trouble in Ireland as it relates to out-halves. Um, a lot of people clamouring for Harry Byrne to get a chance, but there are some who ask, is he ready? Is he ready for this? Uh, which has been the case with Irish out-halves in the past. Paddy Jackson, I know he's kind of persona non grata in Irish rugby now, but once upon a time, he was seen as uh, the next big thing in Irish rugby in terms of being the out half. And they gave him his shot and it didn't quite work out. He missed a couple of fairly crucial kicks at Murrayfield against Scotland and the Six Nations. But I think what I'm at, what I'm going to ask you, uh, Crosby, is is there too much of a gap now between Johnny Sexton and the rest of the out halves in Ireland? Because Johnny Sexton obviously has been the man for a very long time and I am a bit concerned now that if he leaves there's a massive hole in the Irish backline that could take years to fill. Yeah, no, definitely it he definitely is kind of streets ahead of any other option we have, which is which is an issue in itself because I think it, it with the likes of like Burns and stuff, it puts almost too much expectation on them now. So I think the biggest thing is really maybe to just lower the expectations. Like, no one's going to be Johnny Sexton right away. Like, it's going to take quite a lot of time uh, before, you know, anyone could be up to that standard. So it, it is an issue in terms of selection because, you know, you're so used to a certain standard from him and it's something that's going to be quite difficult for anyone to replicate. And, like, you saw that with Burns when he, I think it was in the French game, was he the one that tried to kick for touch? And it's... Uh, and he overshot it and stuff. And so, like, um, it was the Wales game. I think that was Billy Burns. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, but you know, like, so players come and go in like those big moments stuff. But it, it definitely will be like a, it will be a tough kind of void to fill. Definitely. Uh, not much point going into detail on the Ireland Italy game because unless something goes very, very wrong, um, Ireland should win that. But the focus of the rugby world is not on Ireland and more so it's on France, specifically the French team, because up to 10 
of their players have tested positive for COVID. And there was a lot of talk before the tournament as to whether or not the French team would even allow be allowed to play because the COVID situation in France is fairly dicey at the moment. And it feels like their worst fears are coming to fruition. They're going to make a decision on that game tomorrow, but I would be personally shocked, Crosby, if that match goes ahead. Yeah, it seems like 10 is, 10 is an awful lot, really. Um, it will be quite surprising. But I get, like we talked about this numerous times, though, with with kind of should should these tournaments be going ahead in the current climate and stuff, and it's not really a good look now for rugby in general, especially with like the French government and they were so kind of anxious about like not letting the French players travel and stuff, and now it seems like it's kind of come back, or it seems like they were right to think that. Um, but yeah, it certainly it certainly will be quite surprising to go ahead uh, at the weekend. Uh, England-Wales is the pick of the games and England bounced back pretty well two weeks ago from the Scotland defeat by beating Italy. Wales, uh, along with France, are two for two. But this is a real test for both because Wales are kind of in the same uh, spot as Ireland uh, as it relates to the fact that they're still kind of rebuilding after uh, their coach, their long-term coach, left them. And if they can beat an England team who um, you can expect a backlash from, because I'd say they're still hurting from the Scotland loss, if they can beat them, then, you know, watch out. And the Wales-France game suddenly takes on a massive amount of significance if, of course, that match can go ahead. But... Are Wales ready for this England? Do you think, uh, Crosby? Um, I think I think there's kind of room to believe, you know, that like that they could get something out of this. Like Scotland certainly pulled off quite a surprise against them, um, and true, true that they are sort of in a rebuilding process, but it hasn't necessarily been the worst tournament for them so far. But certainly England will be the biggest test. But it probably it probably hasn't been a better time. To play England so it's certainly not I certainly wouldn't write them off completely uh, so it's going to be obviously very very interesting watching the Six Nations I think that um, obviously Wales England is the pick of the games but once this weekend is over I think we'll have a much clearer view as to where we are in terms of who's going to win the tournament. I think we'll have a clear front order because it's between Wales and France at the moment with England kind of hanging on to their coattails. But we'll see. Um, the GA All-Stars also took place over the weekend. And it was um, it was a good night. I think it was um, great to celebrate the GAA season that came. Because, that was, excuse me, because... There is uh, a bit of speculation as to whether or not the GAA season to come will happen uh, because of uh, the new uh, COVID restrictions. But I think it was important to celebrate the fact that we had a season at all. It might have ended a bit monotonously with the usual suspects standing tall, Dublin and Limerick. And they did dominate the the awards. Dublin and Limerick both got nine uh, players in their respective all-star teams. And Brian Fenton and Garrett Hegarty won the footballer and hurler of the year, respectively. I think people saw that a mile off. But one thing I do want to ask you, 
is that Stephen Cluxton failed to get the goalkeeping all-star again. And Crosby, he is probably, he'll probably go down as the best goalkeeper in the history of Gaelic football. And yet, since Dublin went on this mad run of six All-Irelands in a row, he's only got one all-star out of those six years. And that strikes me as, frankly, ridiculous. Now, in a sense, I understand because maybe there's a sense of, oh, we can't just keep pouring adulation on clocks and let's give it to someone else. But when you do that for five out of the six years for the best goalkeeper maybe ever, I think there's something wrong there. Yeah, definitely. It um, it does kind of seem like a very strange kind of decision. And you're right, maybe there is a certain thought process of not constantly kind of overpraising him, but like you said, well, one in six years, like they kind of done the complete opposite of it. Um, and it's, it does seem strange because I guess maybe there's a feeling of like everyone pays so much attention to, you know, like the scoring of them and like the way they play and stuff. Maybe necessarily a goalkeeper isn't that noticeable, but even even like off the pitch and stuff, as a leader as well, he's surely a huge influence in that team. And it does seem it does seem quite strange not to not to reward him for that. But um, I guess if, if they're going to give it to anyone, I guess giving it to the Cavan goalkeeper was, wasn't necessarily a, a bad choice either. And like you said, it was, it was, the All-Stars were really good kind of, it's really a good thing to have celebrating the GA season that had been because in such a like strange time, it was quite a good season. Like it went, it went well in terms of uh, COVID restrictions and stuff like that. And in terms of entertainment, I would say, like you said, we still had our typical winners, but the, the actual season itself was still pretty entertaining and Cavan themselves being one of one of several kind of underdog stories we had this year. Um so I definitely think the omission of Cluxon is very strange, but overall it was it was like you said a good celebration of of a really good season that was had. Yeah that Cavan Tipperary weekend was absolutely glorious. We talked about it on the show and you can find that show as well as our entire back catalogue on Spotify. We're at DCUFM. You can check out Action Replay and, of course, all the other shows that we've got going on here on DCUFM. But we're going to switch gears now to soccer. And this is where we bring in, I think for the first time ever on Action Replay, we're going to bring in Alana Kanan. Alana, how are you doing? Hi, you guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's, it's great to have you. And I think there's only one place to start because it hasn't happened in this century, actually. It's Everton winning at Anfield in the Premier League and Liverpool dropped four straight at home for the first time in nearly a century. And wow. What, the decline of Liverpool has been... Near world record pace, I think. I mean, we talked about for a long time how they were kind of in trouble given that they were going to be missing Van Dyke for the rest of the season. But they were still, they weren't exactly in title contention, but they were there, thereabouts. And then suddenly they've just gone off a cliff. So, Alana, what's gone wrong? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I suppose I'm slightly biased in that manner, but uh, all the talk of uh, comparing the that last year's uh, Liverpool team to um, 
former Manchester United teams I'm a United fan myself has absolutely been obliterated but uh no yeah when you're down to your I think it's is it their eighth choice centre-back it is at this stage it's no wonder I mean especially when you're pulling players like um Jordan Henderson back even though he got injured there presumably at the weekend um you're you've been taking uh vital players out of other positions then at that stage so and then when you even look at it like Mane hasn't been performing to the levels that he was last season. I feel um, Salah has kind of gone under the radar. He's still um, getting the goals fairly consistently, but I don't think that's being talked about because of, as I said, the major problems they're having in their defensive positions. I think credit has to be given to Everton, though, Crosby. This is a massive, massive moment for them. It was on Saturday. And, you know, they started the season really well. I mean, it was probably a bit of a false dawn that they were at the top of the table. But they they were fully deserving of their win, not just on the day, but also based on what they've done throughout the season. Yeah, certainly. And I think um, a lot of a lot of the credit has to go towards Ancelotti, I think. Um, I think the last time they won was 2010, I think, at Anfield. And um, or it was a Merseyside derby in general. And I think Jamie Carragher touched on it as well, that... Every time Everton played them, they would get it wrong mentally. He's, I think he said that they, they'd be too kind of geared up for it and they'd get someone sent off or they'd be so psyched out by you know it being Anfield that it'd go wrong on them as well. And it seems like Ancelotti kind of got the perfect balance for them all together, like to kind of remain calm and um, kind of get through in the end. But it was certainly they've certainly been one of the most kind of surprised packages I guess of the season but then I think I think people are kind of underestimating who Carlo Ancelotti is like as well I think it shouldn't really come as a surprise that a man who's won I think is it three Champions League maybe two is getting the best out of players like Dominic Cavalloon and Richarlison so uh, they've certainly been brilliant to watch this year um one of the main talking points from that game, though, is of course the penalty towards the end, and I kind of wanted to get your opinion on that, present Like, with the whole interpretation of the rule and the idea that intentions kind of gone out of it, do you, do you think it was a fair decision the way Trent Alexander-Arnold was caught out for that foul, or do you think it's incredibly harsh? I think it is a bit cut and dry. It's a bit two different referees are probably going to have two different opinions on it, but. Based on the fact that he gave the penalty, um, in terms of the VAR thing, I don't think it was enough of a clear and obvious error to overturn it. But I think it's kind of open to interpretation. I don't think it would have made too much impact on the result because I, I do think Everton were on their way to that win. But I can understand why Liverpool folk would be uh, fairly peeved about it. But this is really bad for Liverpool now. I mean, it goes without saying, but it did look like they were starting to kind of get things back on track because they had a fairly comfortable win in the Champions League uh, on the previous Tuesday over Leipzig. So they're going to carry a pretty healthy lead into a second leg. Not quite as healthy as the lead that PSG will carry into their second leg, though, because that happened on the same night, completely overshadowed anything Liverpool did. Barcelona getting smashed in Europe isn't really a major mind-boggling story anymore, which is unbelievable to say in itself. But this was very much the story of Kylian Mbappe, Crosby. I mean, Messi and Ronaldo have ruled for a very, very long time now. And 
uh, there, I saw a lot of chatter online that this match was, for all intents and purposes, the crowning of the new best player in the world. Would you agree with that? Uh, sort of. Maybe it's a bit jumping the gun so far, but uh, it's certainly the the two fixtures kind of or last week's fixtures did feel like kind of a passing of the gauntlet. Like you had Mbappe. I think he's the first player since Shevchenko in the 90s to score a hat-trick. I think he's the second player ever to score a hat-trick at the new camp in the Champions League. And then the next night you had Haaland getting two against Sevilla. And in, in the, the same kind of round of figures, Messi loses and Ronaldo loses. So it does. It certainly does feel like one generation's coming to an end while another is kind of up and coming. Um, to say that Mbappe might be on current form the best player in the world, but I still think to kind of get that rec- that title, you do need a European trophy uh, under your belt. And then he certainly has to go and prove himself. But um, even just looking at like the two kind of, I guess, former best players in the world, and Ronaldo and Messi, like, I guess I'll ask, I'll ask you, Alana, like, you know, what do you think is next for them? Like, Ronaldo's 36, Messi's 33. And there's a lot of talk that Ronaldo, the Juventus kind of want to move Ronaldo on. I think it's, probably to do with wages and stuff like that. And then Messi is clearly unhappy at Barcelona. I guess, what do you see like is the next thing for them to do? Will, will Juve be able to move Ronaldo on? And c- could you see Messi going, like say, to like a PSG or like that? Or will he end up at somewhere like City? Yeah, um, Sean, I'd say a lot of the talk anyways, transfer-wise, uh, um, you know, speculation-wise, I suppose, will be... Um, you'd see Messi rejoining with Pep over there in City. And if you're looking at the Premier League, realistically, City are probably the ones to do it. I mean, they're the ones that have the money to uh, bring him in. But um, he looks likely likely and eager, as you say, to move. But Ronaldo, I think, is a different kind of story because everyone is talking about Messi's decline, but I think everyone still re- uh, respects Ronaldo's athleticism not that they don't with Messi's but Messi's was kind of a more abrupt um fall off and it's ridiculous to even say that but I I think you you get what I mean like everyone's talking recently as they say about the uh, gauntlet being passed and um, Messi's kind of decline but it, it is an interesting one to see what will actually happen next um in in relation to that one yeah well, it was a an emphatic win for PSG uh, during the week. They did actually drop points, I think, at the weekend of Ligue 1. And similarly, another team that are kind of having trouble with their, their title challenge at the moment is Atletico Madrid, who I, I think it was 11 points they were ahead at the top of the table, and now it's cut down to maybe two or three. They dropped points recently. I think they lost 2-0 to Levante. So it's certainly... it's kind of seems like it's faltering a little bit over there but uh the reason we mentioned them of course is they're in action uh tonight i think it is against chelsea and it'll be an interesting watch because diego simeone probably in terms of like the, the squads he's managed always has the most respect out of any manager i've seen him they will they nearly die from on the pitch like he has he has a certain way of playing and that's how they play and they're very defensively very um astute team but I guess it'll, it'll be the first major challenge for Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea Breslin. Um, how, can you, how do you see this one faring? 
Uh, first of all, I just want to go back to the Messi-Ronaldo thing. I do agree with Alana that Messi could be going off to City because I'm pretty sure, uh, and this might be me uh, over-speculating, but Aguero's contract is up with City in the summer. And I don't know if he's going to resign. I think he's made his feelings clear that he wants to end his career in Argentina. So I think it would be a perfect thing where Aguero moves on, vacates the number 10 shirt, and Messi slots in. As far as Ronaldo goes, I think I think he's going to America because I think he's very, very brand savvy. Um, if he does end up moving on from Juventus, he'll want to build his reputation more in America, kind of bring himself to a LeBron level of, marketable, recognizable, world-famous athlete. And uh, if there's a country that can afford to pay the wages of a Cristiano Ronaldo, it is the United States. Uh, He'll probably end up in one of the California teams, similar to Beckham when he went to LA Galaxy in 2007. And just he'll be looking, I think, to the next stage of his career. But going back to Atletico Chelsea, this is undoubtedly for me the the tie of the rounds uh barcelona psg runs it close but then psg you know stuffed Barca in the first leg atletico's title ch- title challenge i was gonna challenge is almost a weak word because they are the front runners but they have started to drop off like you said crosby it's it's a case of a team that were dominant starting to falter against a team who weren't quite good enough under Lampard, some might say, and are starting to rebuild under Tuchel, and now, as you say, face their first significant test. So the way I see it, these two teams are kind of very, very evenly split. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see quite a cagey affair, but I would predict uh, a 1-1 draw which would hand the initiative to Chelsea because they've got their uh, away goal. I'm pretty sure the game is in uh, is in Atletico. But I do think that it's going to be an interesting watch no matter what. And Real Madrid are the ones that are, that are closing in on Atletico. Their great city rivals would be all too delighted to, to knock off their, uh, their championship push. And they're in action against Atalanta, which... Atlanta, I feel like, are a dark horse. Um, but I think Real are coming into form kind of at the right time after a dodgy group stage. And I think they'll win that game. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting watching you, right? With kind of Atlanta being the perennial kind of dark horse. Um, City obviously playing Munching Gladbach as well uh, this week. Another kind of dark horse-ish in Mönchengladbach but probably not to the same effect and Bayern Lazio is the other uh, fixture but just talking about the Champions League as well because you mentioned Real Madrid and obviously you know when you think of the Champions League there's no other team that comes to mind first Um, but in terms of like favourites for the tournament it's kind of I feel like this season it seems like it could be anyone's for the Champions League because the kind of typical heavyweights in Madrid and certainly in Barcelona aren't quite what they were. I don't think Real Madrid necessarily still have the same... Well, they do have the same pedigree, but I feel like they might be a bit tired at this point, burnt out, to keep on kind of pushing. While Bayern, 
maybe look the most consistent. But um, just in terms of favourites, Alana, who who do you see? Who would you pick as your kind of favourites for the Champions League this year? Yeah, definitely it's an interesting uh, one, uh, Sean, because if you look at it, like you're saying, okay, Barcelona have certainly fallen off, but like Barcelona and Real Madrid as the two Spanish titans, possibly the best two teams of the past decade, probably before that it was, um, again, the English kind of teams. But Atletico, okay, against Chelsea, like um, Sean Breslin, you're saying, I feel that would be a tight one. I'd have to kind of go um, Man City, because, as you say, they're on a sublime run of form in the Premier League at the minute. And I just can't see them stopping. I mean, they've after getting um, Aguero back and even De Bruyne back. And they were winning without them before that. So, like, I know some people might say it's probably an outside chance. Because, as as we all know, the English teams don't tend to do as good in the Champions League in um, recent years but um, no I think I'd have to go uh, Man City out of out of all of them to be honest based on the recent run of form like yeah I think I think a lot of people are seeing them as that this year I think even you look at like their result the weekend against Arsenal they won 1-0 and it's a very kind of it's not a very Pep Guardiola-esque scoreline you know we're used to see kind of having to outscore teams nearly to win but I think we mentioned it previously that um that this year they seem more comfortable to kind of grind out those results and it's, it's a good sign in terms of like a team having a spine and stuff and I guess character has been a big issue for City as well so um, I think that'll be that'll definitely be interesting uh, to see a day fair but obviously I mentioned they won 1-0 um, against Arsenal and their big North London rivals uh, Spurs lost at the weekend as well losing 2-1 to West Ham who now find themselves fourth in the table which is quite surreal really especially at this point in the season David Moyes has seemed to work wonders and it's a team that's kind of characterized by almost the, the you know men rejected by Manchester United you've David Moyes uh, at the helm managing and then Jesse Lingard has found just un- incredible form he seems to be back to the same confidence um and you've likes of Declan Rice is still constantly performing and Michael Antonio seems to be doing quite a good job of striker for a man who was a right back like five or six years ago um but I guess present do you think that they have enough quality to maintain staying fourth West Ham or do you think because they're above the likes of Chelsea Liverpool and Everton who you would think on paper seem to have a far better side but West Ham are the ones coming away with results a lot more lately so can you see them holding on to that position I don't think so, to be honest. I mean, it's a great run they've been on. I, weren't they pretty close to the drop last season? I think they they were one of the teams on the final day that were kind of trying desperately to avoid relegation, or maybe I'm, I'm confusing them with Aston Villa. No, yeah, uh, they were 16th, uh, Sean, you're right. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, it is a, it's, a, it's a great turnaround. They've, they're similar to Aston Villa in that way. But... Uh, I don't think they'll get Champions League. Uh, they've certainly got their work cut out for them this weekend. They're playing Man City, who are on that, I think it's 18 wins on the trot now. Uh, and they are, they've are they only got a, a two-point gap between them and Chelsea. So all it takes is one wobble and they're out of there. Um, I think 
Europa League football is a very, very realistic possibility for them. But uh, I don't know about Champions League, to be honest. And I do think Jesse Lingard, actually, to, to kind of end this point on a positive note, is thriving because with with the type of guy he is and the type of brand he wants to project, I do think that London is a little bit of a better fit for him uh, than Manchester. So maybe he feels as though the, the pressure's off because he's been in the United system pretty much his entire professional career. And I think he's kind of pretty comfortable with this sort of fresh start. Um, again, it's it's a question of whether or not he can maintain it, just like team as a whole. But I think West Ham should savor this moment and probably take a picture of them in the top four because I think it's unlikely to be the case with them come the end of the season. Yeah, it's certainly um certainly been an interesting watch for that. But uh, looking ahead, then we there's to this weekend's uh, fixtures. Obviously, you mentioned West Ham have a difficult uh, game away uh, to Manchester City. But also the kind of the, probably the biggest game or one of the biggest games of the weekend is uh, Chelsea versus Manchester United. Um, United still sitting in second, uh, a decent three-one win against Newcastle uh, at the weekend. Um, so I guess just a simple question of where, how do you see them performing present uh, against Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea? Oh, this is an interesting one. Um, it's another test for Chelsea uh, under the new regime I think that they will be relishing this one a bit more because I think despite United winning uh, against Newcastle which isn't that much of an accomplishment there is still a sense that United can be attacked and got if you get after them they'll melt so I think this is a really good opportunity for Chelsea um, to take a really big step forward with the West Ham loss and they winning, they're winning this game. They'll be back in the top four. So overall, I think this could be a really, really good week for Chelsea fans. Yeah, and um, one of the other uh, kind of bigger games as well this weekend is uh, Leicester versus Arsenal. Uh, Leicester have always kind of, well, it's kind of seemed like one of the dark horses for years, and it seems like they're finally starting to gain some consistency while. Arsenal, I don't know. It's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to place anything on Arsenal. They kind of very here miss side. Um, I guess Alana. One of the things with Leicester is you know they're sitting in third and they look quite comfortable there. Um, they. I I don't know if the question of will they uh, get top four is really that big of a deal now. I guess one thing we talked about a while ago was you know kind of keeping that consistency and stuff like because the big issue when they won the league was they were still kind of the selling club and a lot of those players went um so i guess can could you see maybe you know if they keep the right players and stuff like that um could they maintain this level of kind of reaching the top four maybe even push for the title in a few years yeah, definitely, Crosby. I mean, you can only but admire uh, Leicester, to be honest, I think. And especially under Brendan Rodgers, they seem to have gone from um, strength to strength. Because if you look at it as well, um, you know, City are gone away with it. You'd expect United to maintain. But Leicester going forward, you know, they're probably fighting for that position with Chelsea. And, you know, Liverpool sitting at 40 points. You'd kind of wonder 
is it best for them to try and um try and push on even though this despite their injuries or you know if they drop out of that top four and you're sitting in Europa League it'd probably be even better for them to drop below that again uh whether they would do that or not I'm not sure but we all know how much of a hindrance the Europa League really is I suppose because you know everyone wants to be in the Champions League but um yeah Leicester have only have only excelled under um Brendan Rodgers but uh, you would wonder with um Spurs recent form would uh Rodgers be there for much longer I'd say um they're kind of eyeing up him <laughs> to uh replace Marino I would think anyways because based on his recent form it looks like he's going the opposite way altogether. Yeah, it does. It, it's, it, he certainly doesn't seem like the kind of the manager he was uh, a few years ago. But uh, just looking kind of towards the bottom half of the table, the, the relegation battle hasn't been quite as interesting this year because you've Sheffield United nearly emulating that Derby side and West Brom don't look like a typical Sam Allardyce team and they've struggled really to maintain getting points but the one team that could pull off a great escape this year is Fulham who got a 1-0 result against Sheffield United actually last weekend and um they they sit in they sit in uh, in 18th and 22 points just three below Newcastle who Newcastle uh facing Wolves this weekend which would be quite a difficult uh fixture for them and Fulham going away to Crystal Palace who uh, Palace have been somewhat hit or miss, I think, this year, Breslin. Um, it, so it's certainly an interesting watch. Can, can you see Fulham maybe clawing their way out of of relegation and surviving? Um, or can Newcastle kind of pull it together and just maintain uh, staying up? Well, Newcastle certainly haven't been doing themselves any favours. Obviously, they lost again this weekend against Man United, which, you know, that's not too bad after this but it's uh it's still it's still not ideal and the performance as well was it was in in the second half especially it felt like they gave up once united got the lead back this um this weekend though is is really really interesting because fulham could conceivably draw level with Newcastle. Uh, they're only three points behind them. I don't see Newcastle beating Wolves. I think Wolves are are pretty good at the minute. They had a great win, I thought, over Leeds on Friday night. And as far as the rest of the season goes, I think Fulham will have the bit between their teeth going after Newcastle. And I don't think Newcastle kind of have the, the strength of character to really withstand that sort of pressure. So uh I do I, I do think Newcastle could could and will go down. It's not too late for them to save themselves, of course. And I could be proved very wrong, but I do I do think that it'll it'll be Newcastle. And that process could start as early as this weekend. But uh, moving away from soccer, and I think this is um, the last thing we'll talk about, and it's kind of an overarching sports thing. I was reading an article in the 42 this week um, where they were talking about women's sports not being a priority uh, in this COVID pandemic. Now, 
we talked about Crosby and I did in the in the rugby section of this show that maybe it wasn't the best idea for the Six Nations to go ahead. That might be a bit of a broad statement, but the French government certainly had concerns about their team playing. And that concern has unfortunately been validated with 10 of their squad testing positive. But what was noticeable to me was that the Six Nations was always being planned to go ahead. Whereas with the women's Six Nations, they seemed very slow to be making those plans, which uh, can only be can only be disappointing, really. And I ju- I just wanted to get your thoughts on this, Alana, because where do you see um, women's sports being at at the moment? And I get that's what I've put just put up on the screen for those watching on twitch.tv slash dcufm is potentially quite inflammatory. Why is women's sports not a priority? But it certainly does feel that way from my own perspective, at least. Why do you think that this has been the case? Yeah, I think I think it's more of a multifaceted argument than people actually um, think, um, Sean, because... You know, let's say let's take that case of the women's Six Nations versus the men's. So, um, a lot of the women's international teams involved in the Six Nations wouldn't actually be considered professional, and um, Ireland will be one of those. So, like I mean, that has many um, many things going for it in in its in itself. Because first of all, right, okay, they don't um obviously get paid, but then they actually have to work their own jobs in the meantime because you know they wouldn't get the time off work or they wouldn't get the sponsorship that the male teams would so the likes of your England and your France in the women's are professional setups so they would have the affordances to be able to train in other times where the likes of the Irish uh, ladies would uh, have to work or you know and a lot of them would be on the front line as well and that kind of thing so I mean I feel uh, women COVID has 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 had a massive impact on women's sport, um, overarching, um, but that was always going to happen as a result of um the actual institution that's already in place. If you get me, uh, we'll keep our eye on this going forward because obviously COVID is is is, is quite a, it's quite a fluid issue and things could change, but it's it 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 does for me personally who who'd love to see you know women's sports be on an equal level of 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 importance and prestige as men's it it um I, I, there is a lot of work there but you know as long as the work is being done i i don't have too much of a problem with it but that's going to do it for this edition of action replay you can find us on twitter and instagram at dcufm sport you can listen to this episode on demand if you missed some of it. The the this episode will be up on Spotify at DCFM uh, at the latest by tomorrow, Wednesday, the twenty fourth of February. Uh, Crosby, Alana, thanks so much again for your contributions. Thanks very much. Thank you. Uh, I've been Sean Breslin. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week.